bit rough when we begin to live together actively as community. Of course it is. And that's only normal. But that's what, you know, these gatherings are about. And every time y'all get together and pray, and again and again, it's about grace. We will be given all of the graces we need. But we do need to ask for them, you know, to, to personal graces, community graces. And, and so when I come back to what we've been flowing through this process, so the woman has been pregnant and, you know, we've, we've gone through this time until I mentioned this morning, this, this watershed moment, no pun intended, of the angel of the millstone dropping into this ocean, which corresponds to Revelation 18. And this horror of Babylon, as Blessed Mother explains, it's the entire Masonic system, is the woman sitting on the beast, is international masonry. She's, you know, this beast is, is this system that they've placed, put in place over the centuries. She explains that to Don Gobi in the Blue Book, you know, at some point. You know, maybe we can talk about more about that. But so Revelation 18 is this moment of the breaking of the seals in the waters and the, the moment when the birthing process is nothing can stop it. God has ordained it and it's when God the Father wants it. So he will just determine when it is time to begin this process. It can go really quickly. You know, I think we're all pretty stunned to see how quickly things went um, with COVID because there was a, a level of control and mastering and all the structures are in place. So yeah, things could go pretty, pretty quickly, you know, as in getting shut out of bank accounts and, and jobs and all sorts of things. Um, and so this period after the waters break, any mother knows you go into labor and really depending upon how efficacious your breathing, relaxing and trusting is, depending upon how many children you had, depending upon, you know, plethora of, circumstances some women birth in 20 minutes there's probably someone in here that's been less than 20 minutes others it might be 24 hours so what are the you know what means what is it that some people have these contractions that are so efficacious that their cervix is dilated to 10 centimeters in no time you know i posit that it has to do with our degree of relaxing trusting breathing um and so on this mystical level, if this is the entire earth that's going through contractions, we've described those yet again as the four modes of just, justice in, God, in the Bible. You know, that's what the contractions will look like on a global scale. Um, and it really does largely depend upon us to pray our brothers and sisters on all of the continents and everywhere to pray through this process of contractions knowing that just like attractions for women in labor, they are doing nothing but good things organically for this birthing process, meaning they are opening the veil. So by definition, if I'm going to make a parallel, a metaphor between the woman whose who's, who's womb is closed by the cervical doorway that dilates because of contractions, praise God, understand that spiritually, if I'm going to come up and spiritualize my metaphor of birthing, it's the equivalent of the veil opening. The veil not just tearing, but actually being open. Can we fathom what that's going to look like? You know, you've probably experienced different times, certainly at Mass. It is said, you know, in mystical theology and people like, um, uh, what is her name from, from Bolivia that lives in Yucatan now that um, has the revelation of what is actually happening at Mass. 
Oh, Katarina. Katarina Rivas. Thank you. Kind of hard to find in English on the internet. Um, I've her. Got yeah, you do. So the it's it's she tells the you know what what she was what was revealed to her that's actually happening at stage by stage through the Holy Mass. That's great reading if you if you're not familiar with it. Michael says he has copies of that and can get that. Um, so this veil that's thinning means the separation. This is really key information. The veil that separates heaven and earth. Um, once when I was in Fatima in 2009, the Lord showed me that infinity sign in math. You know how we have on our digital clocks between the minutes and the seconds, those two little, little beeping points is all that separates us from the invisible. The veil is super thin. We just can't penetrate it with our understanding at all. But apparently it's really thin. And so when this process happens, um, the veil will basically be gone. It will thin as the contractions happen. So be thinking in your mind, just like you when you were pregnant and having your baby, you, you were dilating. So, just as, so will be happening in the spiritual between the visible and the invisible. So that means, you know, when, when we're in these, in these places of refuge, when this process, this Passover begins, understand that when the Holy Mount sacrifice is, is celebrated, my understanding is we're going to actually see with our natural eyes the angelic host. We may see the saints. Are they going to actually come down at this stage? I don't know. I think they are. St. Saint, Saint Montfort indicates yes. Um, certainly, certainly in this later stage of the kingdom, after the thousand years have begun, absolutely, there, there's no barrier. You know, we will be in the full unity of the three churches, right? The church glorified purgatory and on earth. So, you know, all those friends, your saints that you're closest with, your friendships and you know, your spiritual friendships with the saints, you may potentially actually even see them in this, you know, with your natural eyes. So, uh, you know, the Lord will be unveiling lots of things and opening lots of things, barriers that we presently have that we can't, we can't bear to see with our natural eyes. We will see and understand the presence. And this, like all things, it's not going to happen from one instant to the next. It will be a process, an opening. So time for us to get adjusted to the thing. You know, these, these great graces that will be given, these prodigies of God, these mercies of God. Um, um, and that includes your loved ones. You, you know, you think of those that have gone before. We've had so many people pass away since this, all this COVID. Um, you know, young parents. Um, it's just been amazing what's all, all, all that has happened. But understand that, you know, if they are already in the heavenlies, you know, they who could know the needs of your family better than your mother <laughs> as the grandmother or your father, the grandfather, et cetera, or a family member. Um, so this this fluid, you know, movement, but in the communion of saints is, is really going to be a powerful, and beautiful thing. So we come in the fullness of time. You, your water, waters have broken. You, you're, you're in labor. And then you've come to your 10 centimeters. I remember vividly each time my, I had the same OBGYN that delivered all three of my boys in, in Rennes, France. And I remember him sort of putting his hand on my shoulder and saying, Madame Petit, your baby is engaged. His head is right up here. He's in, the, he's, in, he's in a good place. I haven't asked you to work now. You've just been praying and relaxing 
through your contractions. You haven't been doing anything. <laughs> You've just been relaxing, right? Yeah. And now I'm going to actually ask you to work. What? You know, and push this baby through. So there's this incredible moment of fullness where there's kind of a, a calm. And, you know, I remember taking at least five or 10 minutes to just sort of try to chill out because the baby's head was in the right place and the contractions essentially had, you know, dissipated. I was dilated. Everything was postured. So it was almost a moment of rest. So what is going to happen for us in this mystical dimension? This is the first intervention. There's going to be two at the top of the birth canal and at the bottom where the Holy Spirit's going to intervene. And at this top moment, when we are dilated, dilated by what? Suffering. All over scripture, we hear about what, what is it that dilates and circumcises the human heart? Suffering. So we've gone through all of this suffering of the four modes of justice. It may be weeks, maybe months. I don't think it's going to be years once the waters break, you know, the financial collapse. But it could be, it could go really fast. It really depends upon our, also our, our prayers, you know. But so we've dilated, we're open, and souls and hearts and minds are open to the visitation of God through the suffering. How many times have I heard an echo in my head? My justice is my mercy, you know? And he's going to cause this opening of our hearts, this circumcising of our hearts through all these contractions and labor pains until he ascertains that the maximum number of souls over the entire face of the earth are open to the maximum 10 centimeter aperture. Perfectly, the maximum number of souls is disposed for this incredible instant, which I wish I knew how long it's going to last. Is it minutes? Is it seconds? Is it days? Well, I was given something that leads me to believe it is going to be three days. Um, and that there's actually two events of three days of darkness at the top and at the bottom, very different events, but totally sovereign to the Holy Spirit. So you've heard about this illumination of conscience, this visitation, this warning. So where is it coming from and who is it? If it's the Holy Spirit, well, wow. St. Paul obviously tasted it personally because, boy, does he hit it spot on. You've already had it probably multiple times. You may have had some spectacular moments of grace where you were able to confess your sins because they were laid bare for you. You know, we've all had these moments of grace. I know we have. But try to put yourself, put yourself in the position of somebody who's never had that kind of a visit from the Holy Spirit, a conviction, you know, to be convicted. But this is what it looks like and feels like, this sword of the Holy Spirit, which is the illumination. I'm at Hebrews 4, verse 12. Indeed, the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating even between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and able to discern reflections and thoughts of the heart. No creature, no creature is concealed from him, but everything is laid bare 
and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must render an account. Wow. Now I'm going to come over here to Revelation chapter 19. If we've said that the fall of Babylon is happening up here and it's going to be a catalyst for the beginning of these, this process of contractions, which will culminate in an opening of hearts, which is awesome. Um, remember the prophecy of Simeon? Remember the prophecy of Simeon, that super mis mysterious part of Luke where, where Simeon comes in to the temple exactly the right day because he's so filled with the Holy Spirit, and he and Anna walk in because they know that today is the day. They've been waiting for probably decades for this moment for the Messiah to be presented to them. And they both appear when Joseph and Mary go to present the child Jesus in the temple. And Simeon turns to Our Lady and he says, And you, your heart will be pierced so that the secret thoughts of many may be revealed. This is the hour of Our Lady of Sorrows. Father invoked her during Mass. It's truly, um, there was the, the, the great mystery of what happened in, in Rwanda. And Immaculate Ibazugu, I can't pronounce it correctly, of course. She, thank you. Oh, you know, she was, she, that was revealed. Our Lady of Sorrows revealed to her, this is time to come back with this, this, my seven sorrows and contemplate my sorrows, you know, because the, the seven sorrows, the Servites were founded in, in Florence, Italy in the 13th century. So, wow, you know, a long time, 800 years, over 800 years ago. So the church, it's high time for us to come back into this mystery of the seven sorrows. Well, mystically, Why? Well, because she is co-redeeming. She is participating in this mystery of this piercing that is already happening and going to happen, certainly, in this moment of illumination in a dramatic way. And that's why this title of co-redemptrix is extremely important. Right now, there's four Marian dogmas, and we've been praying for a long time, the people of God, census fidelium, for the fifth. And the fifth would in, install her really formally in the church as co-redemptive, meaning just like Father said, it is her heart is in his heart. His heart is made of her heart. They, they are one heart, says St. John Ud. They are one flesh. And this unity, she is co-redeeming. And we as her children are also co-redeeming. Every time we turned to Our Lady of Sorrows and said, here, take this. Think of all the sorrows you can redeem all day long. Mother of mercy, Our Lady of Sorrows. Here it is. Here's this one. Big, small, square, round, any shape you want. There's We have sorrows all day long um, that we can offer her. And so she is permitting her own spouse the sword of the Holy Spirit is the one doing the piercing. And she has agreed and said, yes, okay. She held all these things in her heart and contemplated them. And she's pierced seven times. Why seven? Because that's the sign of the covenant. She was pierced a certainly infinite number of times and is still pierced. But she's asking us, will you let your heart be pierced by the Holy Spirit and participate in, in all of this? In mystical theology, it happens to many, many saints. It's called transverberation. I'm thinking of Saint uh, Saint Brother Andre. I'm thinking of um, um, Margaret Mary Alcock, um, Saint Gertrude. 
these saints, you know, in the different processes of their canonization, uh, Saint Holy Curie of Ars, they the church often removes the actual body of the person from the ground, brings them back out, and looks at the heart. Because the church in her wisdom knows that there's something very mysterious that happens to the human heart. And there are saints' hearts who are literally practically shredded, like with cuts in them, when they've brought them out. I mean, it, it, that is absolutely a mystery. Because the Holy Spirit has, has permitted this transverberation, this piercing. And again, for us, piercing hurts. We're afraid of these things. But Blessed Mother wasn't because she understood who is wielding the sword. It's her spouse. It's the love of her life. It's the one with whom she's the most intimate. It's the Holy Spirit is our sanctifier. He is wielding this, this, this mystical sword that causes the unveiling, the revealing. Because if there's no piercing, if there's no revealing, it's the fractioning, right? If you don't open something up, you don't know what's inside. And so it is extremely, extremely important for us to, to, to attempt to ask for those graces that, that we can participate in this piercing and in this birthing, that we would have a devotion to Our Lady of Sorrows and just give her everything you can. Just give her everything, Our Lady of Sorrows. And so we see this very similar language coming up in Revelation now, chapter 19. And what's really interesting is all of heaven, when you come into the first beginning words of chapter 19, all of heaven is praising God because they know it's about to happen. And we discover that um, there's this moment where Jesus comes in and he is riding on a horse. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword to strike the nations. It is verse of 19, the king of kings. So Babylon is fallen. And the next vision that John has is of this king of kings. Then I saw heavens opened and there was a white horse. Its rider was called Faithful and True. He judges and wages war in righteousness. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and on his head were many diadems. He had a name inscribed that no one knows except himself. He wore a cloak that had been dipped in the blood, and his name was called the Word of God. So we know who, who this writer is. And all of this entire army is, is following him in this piercing moment. And all of heaven is cheering because they know the fruit of this revelation. And I propose to you that you would take time, not only for yourself, but you've already been pierced by the Holy Spirit. You know, that's what a, the gift and the grace of conviction is when you get convicted to do something or go to confession. But when this mystical event happens, every single soul is gonna experience this. So take time, you know, I've been doing this for a while in my contemplation. Um, especially in front of the Blessed Sacrament, is to ask the Lord to help you pray and intercede for different people groups. You might go first any order you want, but what I'm speaking of is you might go through all the religions 
Lord, how do I pray for the Buddhists when they get pierced at the visitation? How do I pray for all the new agers? How do I pray for the atheists and the Satanists? What about the Muslims? You know, intercede for them that they, that this piercing would be fruitful and that they would receive God and, and this visitation because there's, it's only going to happen once. It's not going to happen over and over. It'll be a one-time incredible. The Lord has announced it to many saints as the greatest gift of mercy he possibly could give is to, to this instant of visitation, this conviction. And so in advance, because we're, we're midwiving here, not only for ourselves and our loved ones, that this piercing would produce the most fruit of conversion possible. So I have a few records. We all could, we just had his feast not long ago, St. Paul. Contemplate what happened to Saul and how he became Paul. What did that last seconds? We know he stayed in the darkness for three days, which is why I think, yes, that this is three days of darkness. There's another three days of darkness at the bottom. But because God needs to touch us without distractions, and goodness gracious, in our world today, he's he, yeah, I think he'll probably shut off the electricity and our atmosphere will go, um, you know, go quiet. And yeah, will it be for three days? I kind of think it might be for actually three days. It's like Jonah in the belly. Jonah had an illumination of conscience in the belly of the whale. Lasted three days. He came out praising God, right? So we have examples. St. Paul on the road to Damascus is the recent one we just, we just read about and we're reminded, you know, knocked off his high horse, an illumination in which he was totally instantaneously transformed. Yeah, it's that powerful. We just read Hebrews 4.12. So think about the fruit of conversion. All those people, the God-fearing ones that haven't met Jesus yet, all the simple ones, the little ones, do you realize how many conversions? Can you fathom how many people are going to turn to you? Just exactly look at the model of Paul. It's beautiful. God sent him to Ananias. Y'all are all Ananiases. You're going to be baptizing. You're going to be evangelizing in an incredible window of grace that's never happened and will never happen happen again. It's And so will we, because, you know, that's the only sacrament that we have the right to do as baptized Christians is baptized. Yeah, we'll be baptizing. Absolutely. The priest won't have time. You know, we will be doing that. They will be, they'll be hearing confessions. So there's going to be this incredible 40 days. 40 days is the pedagogical unit multiplied by 10. You know, there's 400 years. There's all these 40s. Well, why 40? Because it's eight times five. Eight is the fullness. And five is the number of grace. So we're going to have a 40-day window. I've heard that other people are calling it six weeks. Well, six times seven is 42. Okay, so 40 days. Uh, 40 days of sustained grace in which we will be not sleeping. We will be out in the streets walking. People are going to come out of this event shocked, wanting just exactly like in the Acts of the Apostles. How do I, how do I, what, what did Paul say? What, what do I do? You know, how do I become Christian? Can you baptize me? Are you Christian? You know, how, how will they know? And they will know us supernaturally. And this is the beginning of this, this, this entry, which God um, has given to me the, the word so beautiful, which I already mentioned, but those who've just come to read the, the book of Exodus and see how God overshadows and carries his people through this process. And then read it back to back, one after the other, with the Acts of the Apostles, in which we will in which we understand what happened to the church and in the church after Pentecost, 
these incredible charisms, these incredible gifts of the Holy Spirit that are just mind expanding. We talked about one this morning about suspending natural law. The four marks of the kingdom will already be highly active. Raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, and heal the sick. These are things that you'll see, healings, multiplications, coming into these refuges, but also during this three-and-a-half-year period. Why do I say three-and-a-half years? Well, first of all, 3.5 is half of seven. Seven is the covenant. So it is Our Lady's prayer, I think, obtained that it was only three-and-a-half years. We know this um, in the book of Revelation, and we know it in Daniel. A time, two times, and a half a time, three-and-a-half days. So Daniel and Revelation specify is that three and a half years um in our time like we know it i don't know because god is the master of time you know time is going super fast we all notice it um will it feel like three and a half people people earthly hour time three and a half years i don't know but all i know is that we will receive this illumination all of us even us here um which is why you know the more we can do clean house cleaning and hoovering now <laughs> and asking the Lord, please visit me and help me get ready so that we are fully operational for our brothers and sisters to be out on, you know, in the terrain when they come to us who need our help and need, you know, just, just like Ananias, you know, look what he did. You know, he, he helped, he baptized Paul, fed him because he hadn't eaten <laughs> for three and a half days and led him on the pathway to where he needed, you know, to go. And then Paul, it's incredible, these patterns and models that are absolutely biblical. We know that Paul went somewhere. He just says Arabia. But he went away as a hermit for roughly three, three and a half years. Nobody knows exactly what hilltop or what cave he was in. But for that entire duration... Like it says in Jeremiah, God himself taught Paul. It was 100% revelation. Paul didn't read books. He didn't have conversations with anybody. He was face-to-face -face with God for this three time, some three years. Then he went back, went up to Jerusalem, talked to Timothy, and talked to Peter. Just to check. Did I hear the Lord right? Is, how's my theology? Is, am I on, you know, is my revelation, did I understand and hear the Lord correctly? And all you have to do is continue to read the epistles and, and you know that Paul was spot on and highly prophetic. He was 100% fruit of revelation. Just his relationship with God face-to-face -face in prayer, wherever in whatever cave he was in. So what hope for all of us in this time of quiet when the Lord will pull us into this place that we hear about in Revelation? So this morning, we were saying Alpha and Omega, the first book of the Bible and the last book of the Bible. Anybody that says refuge, wilderness doesn't exist in Scripture, yes, it does. Genesis chapter 19, Zoar with Lot. And now we'll jump over here to Revelation chapter 12, in which I don't know of another place in sacred Scripture where God repeats himself in such a short space. In just a couple verses... Revelation chapter 12, he says very clearly, Father spoke of it, you know, today at Mass in verse 6 and then again in verse 14. So just a few lines later, and I'm going to read both of them. So we are the offspring of the woman, our mother, 
And it says, verse six, the woman herself fled into the desert. Desert, wilderness. I, I put all these, you know, other synonyms in, in Texas where at the Sanctus Ranch, the folks that founded that call it a CMO, a church militant outpost, <laughs> kind of Western language, a refuge, an oasis, a preserve. Um, I kind of like the term Ark of the Covenant just because an ark, as we said yesterday, is a floating houseboat. So it's got a place that you can live inside and it also floats like a boat. And we are already in the deep seas. It seems we're heading out into the deep seas. There's not very much firm ground beneath our feet. So yes, it is. You know, Father was like, pick, pick one of your images. Pick any one that you like that speaks to you. If you like a CMO, you like a refuge, you prefer the word preserve, you preserve, you know, whatever. Oasis is a really good one. Um, but a place, here it's wilderness. So it says the woman herself fled into the desert where she had a place prepared by God. Wow. He thinks of everything. He's perfect provision in divine providence. God, her own father, prepared this place for her. Do not worry about what is going to happen in these places. All Whoever is running them and preparing them has been fully vetted and prepared by God to do what they're doing. And I praise you, Lord, for what you are doing with the Lamberts. Bless you, bless you, bless you. Protect them and cover them under your wings, always, now and forever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So good, so good. And they're all over the world, all over the place. It's incredible that he's called people to do this work, to prepare this. So she flees there, where that there she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Any mathematicians in here to tell me how many years that is? 1,260 days? Three and a half years. I'm going to fly, uh, jump over here to verse 14, where God repeats himself just right there. I don't know of another example where he absolutely repeats himself like this. Verse 14, but the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle. St. John the Evangelist is symbolized by the eagle. And in kind of mystical theology, eagle just means contemplation. It means, it means that prayer that just lifts you up and takes you away. Um, it's what we call ecstatic, ecstasis, kind of out-of-body prayer. It's what happens. It's what happened to Bruno's kids with the apparition. It's what happens at all the, to the seers at like you know Medjugorje, and they they get there's this mystery where their body can't be moved, and and then you know I've I've heard I can't believe it's true but the, the scientists and doctors come and put needles in them and pinch them and try to knock them over, and it's like they're gone. Well, that's ecstatic, that's ecstatic prayer, ecstasis. Lots of the saints had it, apparently. Yes, it's part of God's kingdom activities. So that means if there's, it, let's imagine you've been, you've been serving and, and you need to take a rest. And if God takes you into that mode of prayer, of ecstasis, and you simply are taken into the third heaven, as Paul calls it, and you rest. May last 20 minutes, completely refreshed, however long. You know, the Lord can take us into that type of prayer. 
It's a type of prayer that seems to be associated in the church with Carmelite tradition in particular. And I posit that that is one of the reasons why Our Lady appeared at Fatima in the last final apparition under the title and the image of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Because this Carmelite uh, charism is Avila, St. John of the Cross, many of the Carmelite saints had incredible charism of this kind of prayer of contemplation that's simply out of body. Earlier today, I mentioned Miriam, the little Arab from Palestine, the Carmelite who, who started, who was in Pope in the south of France near Lourdes, and then started the Carmel of Jerusalem. She would have this levitation. She would have be literally carried, and, and her sisters would, in religion would find her in the pear tree in the back, in the orchard, in the back of you know, the convent. And, you know, this is, God does these amazing things um, when he's lifting us up in prayer. Um, and you can be assured that Blessed Mother, Our Lady of Mount Carmel, has obtained whatever graces of prayer we need. So this, as Mediatrix of Grace, this is one of the things that we need to start asking for. Please grant me, Blessed Mother, in your intercession, Mediatrix of Grace, may I have the graces of contemplative prayer, unitive prayer, you know, deep prayer, resting prayer, you know, prayer where you're, you know, and these things, these two are graces that will be given during this, this time. Absolutely. And so we know that God himself has prepared this place of refuge, of wilderness, and of safety. Um, make sure I have, didn't even finish my line. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle, eagle prayer, contemplation, lifting up, an ecstasis. I think that this whole concept of mystical prayer is something that our Protestant brothers and sisters um, I think just simply have a like a lot of things when you mess up in 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 our in in understanding God, it usually is a lot of times it's a question of either timing or degree, like taking him literally. So the Protestants have this heresy called rapture. Well, from Latin, rapere, to be raptured is what eagles do. That's what they do to their prey is they lift them. They, they take whatever, you know, living animals, right? Vultures take, uh, what's it called? You know, dead meat is what vultures do. But eagles oh, take live and remove it and, you know, ra and, and raptures it. Uh, a, a, a rapacious, a rape, rape, I think that's the generic, that's the name of, of eagles, raptors, right? That's the name. So that's, you know, that old from that same verb of rapture means what happens to the soul to, to, you know, when we are in that level of unitive prayer, you know, Paul clearly calls it being lifted into raptured into third heaven. And you can be sure that you will be fully refreshed from whatever labors you're doing down here. You may be exhausted, may not have time. I don't even know if we're going to sleep during some of these times, or if we're simply going to go into prayer, you know, like Teresa little flower and sort of pass out resting in the spirit and be raptured. Go into and, and be in the beatific vision in our in our prayer life. I don't know, but I know that it's possible because the saints have written about it, and it certainly is connected, kind of traditionally, with this Carmelite charism. Our Lady of Mount Carmel, pray for us, you know, and all those great Carmelite saints, starting with Elijah. We hear of him being lifted up in a chariot of fire. You can you can trans you know you can imagine that would be a really powerful unitive flame of love kind of you know prayer. St. John of the Cross wrote the beautiful mm -hmm. prayer about that flame of love. 
So it's it's a prayer state. It doesn't mean literally that you've been raptured. That's not theological to be removed from the cross. But prayer wise, you know, so if you get into a conversation with somebody about rapture, submit to them that maybe it's just a question of degree. What rapturing is, is really a state of prayer. Think about that as a possibility. So that rapturing happens by the two wings of the eagle so that she could fly to her place in the desert. That's really interesting. Where far from the serpent, far from the serpent, he's out here on the outside, far from the serpent, she was taken care of. It's a beautiful passive verb expression, to be taken care of, looked after, for a year, two years, and a half a year. Verse 14. And so, yes, these places exist, and yes, it's a mystery of how we get there by our, our um, certainly the, the ministering of the holy angels. You know, also in Scripture, eagles and eagles' wings are likened to angels, right, also. You know. And so we have, what's this time going to look like inside this three and a half years? What will we be doing? Well, one of the main things that we'll be doing is um, seeking and getting, you know, healing ministry. And there'll be a lot of healing that the Holy Spirit will operate through this illumination. If I know that 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 Jesus is a writer whose name is faithful and true, the one that do, is doing the piercing up here, the Holy Spirit, that Jesus himself holds on to. And if he is the one piercing and he is faithful and true, we could imagine and understand that he's going to be filling us with truth. About what? Truth about himself, truth about God, truth about ourselves. I believe that we will be illumined to what our mission is in this whole sequence, what, where we're supposed to go, what we're supposed to do, what our mission is, who we are, the truth about our identity, the truth about God. I think of all those Muslims that have been looking for God all this time. They'll find him. They'll know the truth. Faithful. They'll know fidelity, faith. What is the true faith? One holy Roman Catholic apostolic church. So many revelations. You know, all people talk about when I ever hear or overhear this visitation of the Holy Spirit, this illumination, they make it sound like it's a horror movie. This is this is the Holy Spirit, the spouse of, of the Blessed Virgin Mary who's doing the visiting. This is Jesus, your brother, who's holding the sword. This sword is a mysterious double-edged sword that has justice on one side, mercy on the other. Or you could use two other labels for the blade, you know, pretty traditional labels, truth and charity, justice and mercy. This incredible paradox, if you've been pretty heavily pierced by the spirit, you know that it hurts, but it's sweet. Have you read the saints' writings about that? They, they speak of it's painful to be visited, but it's because it's such pure love. It's just this incredible paradox of a, of a, of a visitation. But so you will, you know, we, we will discover lots about ourselves and who we are and truths around us. Um, not just convicted of our sin. You know, we, it is said we will see ourselves as God sees us. Um, I think the best expression is with the one we started with earlier, Hebrews 4.12, when Paul says it, you know, unveiling. Nothing can be hidden, but don't be in a position of fear in the presence of, of the Holy Spirit. He's your sanctifier. All he wants is, is, is your best 
He knows you. He's not going to hurt you. It's incredible. All these people who are Catholics and calling themselves prophets, they're just terrifying everyone going, oh, this illumination, you're going to die from it. Well, if you're a Satanist, maybe. But children of God, y'all have been prepared already for every one of those graces of every good confession you've ever made. Think of all those moments. You've had a, plenty of them. And, oh, and start, start asking for them now, you know, to, to have those revelations of our identity. And so moving into will look like um, Exodus and the Acts of the Apostles fused, entering for this three-and-a-half-year period. Day-to-day -day life, we'll be living in community. For most of us, that alone is going to take some adjustments of how to organize um, the space, you know. Um, I have a, a long writing that I was given about the four quadrants of the heart and that um, the center of every household and the center of these places is always the hearth, is the heart of a house. And what's inside the hearth is a fire. And it's that flame of love, you know, the heart of Jesus. Every one of these places will have perpetual ador Eucharistic adoration happening as the hearth, the fire. Right? Just like a fireplace or hearth in a home. And then surrounding it are these four quadrants. The space that we will get to, to, be, to, to understand God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the Blessed Virgin Mary. And in these four quadrants, you know, when we come into a refuge, you know, there will be activities pertaining to getting to know God the Father. How many people have a father wound? I mean, boy, has Satan attacked our fathers and our men. How many people are afraid of fathers or don't even know a father? And by extrapolation and extension are scared of God the Father or simply don't even have a clue what fatherhood looks like. So we need to be educated and edified in fatherhood for sure. Everything pertaining to God the Father, St. Joseph, paternity, those are important catechesis that we will experientially, we will be going through. God the Son is the place of the priesthood, the sacraments. The priest will even be forming young men to future priests. There'll probably be little miniature seminary formations happening. Like they did even, believe it or not, during, during the Shoah and the Holocaust, there they were priests that were ordained. I don't know if y'all are aware of that like in Auschwitz. You know, I'm thinking of a Schoenstatt priest um, that was that was ordained there. But, I mean, they had seminaries. Um, and so the space of, of the priestly presence of Jesus Christ, the sacramental life, is it going to be simply alternating, you know, it's the church. Is it going to be alternating mass and confession, mass and confession, mass and confession, perhaps? But it's the place of Jesus Christ, the priest. Then the third is the Holy Spirit, which is really that room of, of pleroma and kenosis, emptying and filling. It's a per perpetual prayer room. It's, it's praise and worship. It's healing prayer, deliverance prayer. So in these refuges, there will be prayer groups, people that have charism of intercession, people that have charisms of healing prayer, people that pray in the spirit freely. These are charisms, gifts for the edification of the church. So these activities will happen somewhere on, on the site, on the, in the campus, so to speak. This, you know, really place given over to the Holy Spirit. And then the third is going to be our ladies, our ladies quadrant. Everything pertaining to the nurturing, the a school, the school of Mary. Yes, we will have schools. Yes, you'll set up 
some form of a school and everything the Blessed Mother would transmit for us. I mean, it will be everything, all the, the things that a good, you know, read in the Book of Wisdom, you know, the, the story, what, what does a woman do? What does the mother of the house do? You know, who is our mother and how does she care for us? Of course, it's food. It's a dispensary. It's, you know, it's listening. It's a ministry of listening and, and, and being a mother. How many children have not ever had a mother? You're not going to imagine the number of orphans that are be, going to be coming. That's, that's a word that's been coming so strong. These are almost orphanages mm -hmm. because the parents of so many children are going to be perishing from shock during this illumination. But God's love of children and their purity, I think we can't even imagine and anticipate how many, I'm speaking literally children. So you guys are that think you're finished parenting. No, you haven't even started. You're going to be reparenting and have so many children, so many children. Who knows? Who knows how many children? We're already seeing this, this, this flow in the Holy Spirit in France. I don't know if America's so big, it may be kind of hard to, to sense it on the grassroots level. But I've had multiple priests in France tell me this crazy phenomenon that's been happening for about three to five years is teens are knocking on parish doors and on rectory doors saying, I know Jesus, will you baptize me? He's already, the spirit's already working He's on young people. I mean, these are teens to the point where the bishops of France are actually at their last meeting in Lourdes because they meet super often in, and that's where they meet is in Lourdes. And they've been saying, are, are you having all these young people? Do you have enough catechists? How are you handling the new load? This is the precursor already on the terrain because he's already, the spirit is visiting youth in their dreams. And I don't even know where, but they're knocking on doors of churches saying, I know him. Would you, can I join? I mean, it's incredible to the point where there's so many, I mean, I'm speaking like in an, Père Gilles Rousselet that's in southwestern France. He's trying to figure out how he's going to organize it, technically, logistically, because there's so many. All of a sudden, he's got 20, 20 kids that want the Lord, you know, in his parish, nearly much. And he's like, I, how do I organize this? You know, and, and will you be a catechist? Will you do RCA? You know, how do we do this? It, because it's off the charts. And, 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 do they even need 12 months of our, you know, do they need this long program. You know, we're going back to the Acts of the Apostles, you know, so it's, you know, almost this sacramental, you're going to get all your sacraments at once. You know, that's how it originally was. And are you ready? Well, you know, just ask a few questions and the priest knows, yeah, you're ready, but he's been here a week, you know, but he's ready, you know, so it's, so it is moving out of the box, thinking out of some of these outside of these ecclesial structures that we're familiar with. I don't think it is going to be a three-year program. No. And you're going to wait for the kid to get baptized after the ends of the three years. No, you can't make their own fire. No, you know, so we're already seeing this, this first fruits. We're seeing this happening actually on the grassroots. So it's, it's a reality. And we need to start thinking about that. You know, maybe, maybe part of your mission is catechesis. And that's why your, our identity is really key to listen at this illumination when he's showing you, you know, where, you know, some of you are going to be in the kitchen. Some of you are going to be in the schoolhouse. Some of you are going to be in healing ministry and praise. Some of you are going to be perpetual adorers. Some, you know, everybody's got a place tailor-made to who you are. You are going to be in the perfect place. I once had an incredible vision in 2015 on Holy Saturday 
after the mass and which was the day we usually, you know, venerate our lady of sorrows in that day of waiting since the crucifixion and, and resurrection in that incredible Stabat Mater day. And I was given to understand that, of course, it's like, how could we even be surprised? We know our father, we know our redeemer and we know our sanctifier. God put on my heart so clearly that every single refuge on the face of the earth is going to be just like Paul describes in Corinthians, that perfect team of every charism present in, in its fullness, this incredible fellowship where everyone just like paper music of an orchestra, this perfect body is going to articulate itself. You know, there'll be hands, there'll be feet, there'll be, there'll be everything and zero jealousy. I mean, if you set foot in a parish today, all you know is this comp ridiculous worldly competition that goes on and this threat. You know, I call it a, a guarded hunt is the expression in, in chasse garde is what they call it in French. And you can't set foot. Oh, no, no, no. We already have a music. No, no, no. We already have the person that does that. Thank you. It's they don't even want you to volunteer. You know, it's incredible. This bizarre worldly jealousy that we have. None of that is going to be present. You know, you've just been visited by the sword. You, you, we will be vastly mm -hmm. purified already at the top of this three and a half years mm -hmm. just by having traversed this illumination, you know, and you and understanding who we really are and being, you know, that's that's where the problem is, is when we think we're somebody we're not. That's when we get messed up and we're trying to compete with other people. But if you know who you are, you stay in your lane. It's not a problem. You know, it's not a problem at all. Angels have zero problem. There's nine, nine floors and they all know exactly what their bandwidth is. And there's zero competition and a throne would never step on the toes of a dominion or vice versa. They just don't do that because God is orderly and structured. And that is that that'll get readjusted in us too. You know, it's incredible. This, this, this power of this grace, it's going to be mind blowing. It's like, obviously totally transparent. But even then, we'll have this time of three and a half years to begin to perfect our place, to get accustomed to our specific place. Everyone has a place, you know, and you'll understand where your place is and then begin and be affirmed in it. And that's where, you know, confidence comes in. When you start to deploy your charisms and you watch the fruit and you praise God for this charism, my hands are doing this, Lord, take thy body, you know, do whatever you want. It's going to be so amazing to experience, even just in these three and a half years, you know, the God's kingdom, power and presence. It's really, I just can't wait for it. I mean, I really, I'm, you know, I'd say I'm like a, this racehorse. I was doing this up at morning going, you know, I, I cannot wait. I, I really can't wait. Anyway, um, so then we are in this, these, these places, um, I think a lot refer to them as an ark, just because theologically it kind of, you know, the ark, where is this mystical place? Yeah, it's a territory, but I would say first and foremost, it is the two hearts. You know, it is going inside the heart of Jesus and inside the heart of Mary and getting to know them. I think that is, you know, one of the things that I love to do the most when I sit in front of the Blessed Sacrament. I just close my eyes, and some days I like, Jesus, will you take me into your heart? And I knock on the door of his heart, and I go into this cavernous space, and there's all these rooms. And I just kind of go from room to room wherever he leads me, and it's just this incredible meditation, sort of free flow inside the Sacred Heart. 
give it a try and then do the same thing inside the Immaculate Heart. It's, it's really, it's just like this incredible travel, you know, that you go on. It's really hard to come back out <laughs> after that. But, you know, this, the, the, these, these arcs are their hearts, you know, many saints have written about that. And so it's also a mystical place, you know, it's not just a physical spot that we'll, that we'll be in. So, you know, we have all kinds of wonderful prayer adventures that, you know, in our contemplation that the Lord is going to be taking us on. Just, you know, to, to help us, as it says in scripture, you know, there'll come a time when we won't even, we won't need to be taught. <laughs> there won't be catechesis. You know, maybe at the beginning up here, there'll be some, you know, some form of it for people that have no contact, zero, the orphans that have never even heard Jesus' name, but they just met him right up here. They saw him riding the white horse and they say, who's that white horse I just saw? Oh, <laughs> I know who that is. His name is Faithful and True. They're like, yeah, it was written on his coat. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. So here we are. And if we want to read scripture of what it's going to look like, um, Psalm 91. I can't even tell you how many people are getting Psalm 91 over and over and over. Um, it's that beautiful Psalm that, you know, if we can memorize it, boy, I think it would be awesome to be able to proclaim it. Um, in time of need, but um, Psalm 91, I won't probably read the whole thing because I'm sure that time is just running and running 100 miles an hour. Um, but it's not too long. It's spectacular. So if you imagine God speaking this psalm over this territory, this place called the refuge, you who dwell in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, because he's overshadowing us. Say to the Lord, my refuge and fortress, my God in whom I trust. God will rescue you from the fowler's snare, from the destroying plague. Will shelter you with pinions, spread wings that you may take refuge. God's faithfulness is a protecting shield. You shall not fear the terror of the day. Excuse me. You shall not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that roams in darkness, nor the plague that ravages at noon. Though a thousand fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, near you it shall not come. You need simply watch. The punishment of the wicked you will see. You have the Lord for your refuge. You have made the Most High your stronghold. No evil shall befall you. No affliction come near your tent. For God commands the angels to guard you in all your ways. With their hands they shall support you, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the asp and the viper, trample the lion and the dragon. And then in response, the Lord says, whoever clings to me, remember we talked about clinging, what we're clinging to, whoever clings to me, I will deliver. What a promise. Whoever knows my name, I will set on high. All who call upon me, I will answer. I will be with them in distress. I will deliver them and give them honor. With length of days, I will satisfy them and show them my saving power. Amen. So that is what um, 
God the Father. That's his promise right there of what he's going to do in this time, these three and a half years, and bringing us into the refuges. And then our Lord in St. John in chapter 17 has what's called the priestly prayer, in which his very last intercession, it's the longest prayer he ever said, in public at least, to our knowledge. And we have this incredible prayer in which he's literally praying for the graces we're going to need here. And also coming out of it in the thousand year reign. John 17. I think it's important to hear it again. So I am going to read it if that's okay. The prayer of Jesus. So Jesus is, is interceding. And here is what he's asking us, asking for. I think this should be the subject of a whole other retreat, unpacking every one of these sentences um, so that we are familiar. You know, if in, in Texas and some places in the West, when you enter the, a ranch, they have this sort of entry gate that has a big old sign on top of it. And, you know, this is the territory you're entering, you're coming in, this gateway. I think I would call our refuges, really, John 17 would be, you know, we're, we're going to be... The, is the incarnation of this prayer. He's, he's, he's asked for all of these gifts for us. Listen to what he's asking for. When Jesus had said this, he raised his eyes to heaven, just like, you know, we're, he's turning his face to his father. He's, already, he's physically, it's incredible. He's showing this the model. Just turn your face to the father. Look up. Father, the hour has come. Give glory to your son so that your son may glorify you. There's a whole talk on glory. It's it's very important for us to understand what was meant by glory, but it's very simple. It is living in the divine will. It's the union of wills is, is you produce that much glory. It's when the light of the divine will and ours are completely at that point of intersection. It's, it's glorious. It's glory. It's absolute glory. So the son's union of his will to the father's will was so perfect that it just produced laser light glory. And that's why saying our Lord gave to Louisa this image, which I don't know of a better one. Of course, everything God does is perfect. But he says to, to Louisa, think of it like the sun. Well, the sun is a star. It's not a planet. It's a star. So it's in a perfect and perpetual state of combustion. It's fire, right? It's an on-fire star that is so perfectly balanced. It's like it gives light and life. Earth couldn't exist without the sun. And so if if the unity of our wills is like the sun. Well, the sun's pretty glorious. You can't even look at it. You know, it produces this. And I'm doing really pictural sort of images. But Father, in this hour's come, give glory to your son so that your son may glorify you. So they're completely in union. Just as you gave him authority over all people so that he may give eternal life to all you gave him. Now this is eternal life, that they should know you, speaking intimately in prayer, that you be in relationship, that they should know you, the only true God, and the one whom you sent, Jesus Christ. So he names himself. It's the only place we have it in Scripture where he names himself. I glorify you. I glorified you on earth by accomplishing the work. I did your will. By accomplishing the work that you gave me to do. Now glorify me, Father, with you, with the glory that I had with you before the world began. I revealed your name to those whom you gave me out of the world. 
the theology of the name. It says, remember in the book of Numbers, in the Aaronic blessing, it says that God will turn his face towards us and graciously bless us and put his name on us. So his face transmits his name to us. That's worth a long time of contemplation. They belong to you and you gave them to me and now they have kept your word. We just talked about that earlier. It's Mark or Luke. It's who's your brothers and sisters, the ones that hear the word and keep it. Okay, so this is perfect fellowship. This is our family. Yeah, we have genetic and biological brothers and sisters, but family is, Jesus himself explains, my brothers and sisters and mother are the ones that hear the word and keep it. It's today's reading even. But Mark 3 is where he also says that. They belong to you and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. They're in perfect fellowship. They're family. Now they know that everything, that everything you gave me is from you because the words you gave me, the words you gave me, I have given them to them. And they accepted them. They welcomed them. They accepted them and truly understand that I came from you. And they, believe, they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for the ones you have given me because they are yours. And everything of mine is yours, and everything of yours is mine. Boy, that sounds like Picaretta, doesn't it? And I have been glorified in them. And now I will no longer be in the world, but they are in the world while I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one, just as we are. The principal task is for us to come into unity, not only with each other, but obviously with God's will. We will be so perfected in this three and a half years, not anything like the thousand years after that, but we will be deeply already engaged in the process of uni unification, unity of ourselves within ourselves, with each, with, you know, the cross, right? Living on that point of intersection between the vertical and the horizontal. Our will with God's will, and our will with our brothers and sisters, you know, the battle of wills that, that we're in now. So that is one of the main things is this unity, you know, that we'll be um, perfected in during these three and a half years. I am coming to you. I speak this in the world so that they may share my joy completely. So remember what John the Baptist says about joy. What's the source of joy? I hear the bridegroom's voice and my joy is complete. So when you're in that intimate relationship of listening and, you know, because we can look at something and not see it, but we'll start looking and see things. And then that, that active and passive, you can listen and sometimes not hear. But the whole point is it penetrates. You receive it when you hear it. You know, Father said that at the homily. So we will hear each other. We will hear the voice of God. And that is the source of, source, source of our joy, is hearing our bridegroom, our beloved's voice. But now I'm coming to you. I speak this in the world. I gave them your word, and the world hated them because they do not belong to the world any more than I belong to the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, at least up in this part, but that they do not belong to the world anymore, that I belong to the world. Consecrate them in the truth. 
consecrate them in the truth. Your word is truth. How about every single time if I read sacred scripture or every single time that our priests are saying, you know, offering mass and lifting up the sacred species, we say, Lord, consecrate us in the truth. Your word is truth. You know, setting aside is what consecration is, remember? And what if that consecration is taking something outside and, you know, preserving it? I think that should be a strong prayer, we say, is John 17, 17, 17, 17. Consecrate them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. And I consecrate myself for them. He did that on the cross. So that they also may be consecrated in the truth. And this last paragraph, I pray not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me through their witness, through their word. So you're going to be amazed at, you know, one of the graces we'll get that we'll receive is, is this incredible gift of, of, of transmitting his word and witnessing of everyone that you, that you speak to, you know, in, in this process, you know, we'll be, we'll be edifying each other and, and, and building each other up in the word. That's what the glory is about. So they may be one as you, Father, and me, and I, and you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe, believe that you sent me. And I have given them the glory you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. So the more light is centralized like a laser beam, right? That's where it gets intense, right? You think of if we were all scattered around a room holding our little candles separately, and all of a sudden Michael says, okay, let's join our candles together the magnification of that light is going to be stunning. You know, the closer our lights get together. St. John refers to that as fellowship. And that's one of the five abodes I'm going to come to in just a second, is when we gather our lights individually together, it produces a very powerful, very bright light that's much stronger than our little individual lights separate. Fellowship is really important. That's why it was so targeted during covid is scatter the sheep, you know, right. you know, strike the shepherd and scatter those sheep so that we're not doing fellowship and our light is kind of dispersed, right? As opposed to being condensed and densed and close, which is where the glory starts to happen. Um, so father in me and you and I, I and them, uh, father, they are your gift to me. I wish that where I am, they also may be with me. So he's talking about prayer. He's, he's saying, can they have that kind of ecstasis prayer, please? He's, he's literally thought of everything to ask for. I wish that they're where I am, they also may be with me. No, he's not saying that we would all die. No, he's just saying that we could have that prayer where we can come up and be with him in our prayer life. I wish that where I am, they will also be because... Um, that they may be, see my glory that you gave me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And it ends with, righteous father, the world also does not know you, but I know you. And they know that you sent me. I made known to them your name and I will make it known that the love in which with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. And then Jesus is arrested. And John 17 is, is, you know, another one of those pivotal passages of scripture where we can understand really the heart of God and, and what he means by this union of wills and, and this incredible relationship of, of unity 
that we're going to be birthing in the kingdom of the divine will, the Eucharistic kingdom, the thousand year reign, the civilization of love, all of those names are true. But we have first to go through this process of purification. Um, who is going to be entering in to, to these refuges? Well, I would posit that the Lord wants everyone because he doesn't want a single soul to be lost. But there will be people that are going in confusion to stay in the outside world with the Antichrist. They're going to think it's awesome and fantastic to pop their QR code in their hand and walk into Walmart and get all their groceries after this economic collapse that's happened up here. Um, when your dollars don't exist anymore and the only currency you have are these bizarre international units, you know, you're, that you can only access if you have the proper labeling on your person. Um, and the only people that can get the medicine and the gas and all of the worldly interaction and probably get jobs and keep jobs will be the people that are, are, are marked for that in this participation in this kingdom of, of the Antichrist. Um, we kind of saw the first fruits already happening in COVID, you know, who, who got on airplanes, who didn't, who, gosh, in, in, in France, in the grocery store, if you didn't have a QR code, you, there are a lot of the big grocery store chains you couldn't even go into to Carrefour. You couldn't buy groceries. If you didn't have the vaccination card and on the back of the vaccination card was a QR code. So, and there was a police guy and then it turned into the civil people. They were just using their cell phones. There's an app that already exists on cell phones yeah. to check the QR code that says whether or not you're vaccinated. So you couldn't get into some grocery stores in France. You couldn't buy drinks. You couldn't go to a cafe. You couldn't go to a bar. I mean, I experienced it. It existed. It, the technology super already exists. It's no problem. Don't even put it in, you know, don't even put it in the future. It's, it's our big time. It's already there. I mean, like little bars and the servers, the waiters and waitresses had the technology. I mean, it's nobody's police force. You're like, well, how will this be enforced? Well, anybody with a cell phone and, and a job, you know, you think of, well, I mean, it's, it's incredibly, it's, it's done. There's, it's not a matter of if it can happen. It's already attained totally technologically. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there will be people that, that want the, the comfort that stay in the world and that sell their souls unhappily to be part of, part of that worldly, you know, economy that's going to be, that's going to go on totally under control. You know, your worst dystopian novel nightmare, you know, that of control, there will be people that choose that um, and that think it's excellent. Then there's a whole other category of people that I think we all know the term preppers. So it's somebody that's in that attitude, you know, most of the time relatively atheistic. I don't need God, but I've got an entire, you know, my whole bunkers are set up. My buildings are set up. I've got all my provisions, my arms, my ammo, got my generators, got all my deal, but they're not turning to God at all. You know, incredible infrastructure. So there's, man. you know, totally it's ungodly self-reliance, which was the original sin of the garden, ungodly self-reliance. So they'll be out there too. Um, and those who, you know, hear the word of the Lord, who have a relationship with her, it's, it's a mystery of God's grace. God alone is the only one that knows hearts. So if you have family members, friends, people, you know, neighbors that are a million miles away from what appears at this hour, to being able to come into a place of refuge of God's will. Don't for a second think that it's definitive. You know, we just read from Hebrews 4.12, in a split second, mm -hmm. 
in an instant, God can touch anyone. You're going to be amazed, I hope, uh, how many people are actually in these, you know, refugees. Are they coming? They'll probably walk here. I don't, you know, some of them will come in this mystery on angels. Will they camp here? You know, is, is this going to be tents all over the hills? I don't know, but I suspect that it's entirely possible. Because if you think of how many people are in the world and, you know, potentially looking for God, they just have, it's not their fault they were born in some jungle somewhere and they've never heard the name of Jesus, you know? So we're, there'll, there'll be a lot of work for us to do to, to bring everyone into the fold, you know, that the Lord brings us. Um, I do believe that there will also be almost reconnaissance, very similar to if you saw the, the Acts of the Apostles, I think the movie was called Luke, St. Luke that came out maybe in 2018, in which we see the catacombs church and people in Rome, and they go out by twos and they send out kind of young people out to to bring in to the hidden, into the catacombs, um, kind of emissaries, like uh, scouts almost, you know, to go out and, and bring people in. Is this going to be, you know, porous? Is it going to be fluid? Will there be people that regret their choice of being out in the world? I think so. I think God is merciful. I think that we may actually be sending people out from within our refuges, out guided by holy angels to bring in, Others that who God has, you know, called forth in his mercy. They've they've had a change of heart. It's, that's my understanding and sense and hope. So this this is a, a brief three and a half years of learning to live together, learning to live in the spirit, learning to live in the divine will, um, living with a dilated veil <clears throat> where we may perceive a lot more than we certainly do at this hour. We're going to be way more sensitive to the communion of saints and the presence in that veil. You know, it's going to be a very mind expanding process, certainly the visitation. And then when in the fullness of time, when God, the father is ready, is it literally three and a half years? I do not know, but I know that there will occur a second overshadowing of the Holy spirit, a second outrageously powerful, incredible Pentecostal moment. I think when most people think of, of a new Pentecost, it's this moment. And when our Lord says, I can't wait to cast the fire on the earth. Yeah. This is corresponding to Revelation chapter 20, in which um, this fire of the Holy Spirit literally covers the face of the earth. It is a fire that purifies, but also a natural fire that destroys that which the strongholds that need to be destroyed. But it's also for us, in particular, a sanctifying, it is the massive effusion of the Holy Spirit charity upon us. This is how we will be able to begin to even consider being part of the civilization of love. We will be so filled with the Spirit. It will have already happened to a great degree. But just like everything in God's gentleness and wisdom, it is a process, right? A process of preparing. So this fire is a literal temporal fire over the face of the earth. Um, if at some point anyone wants me to share the vision of the white star, which describes this event, the sword of the Holy Spirit, as well as another that I was given um, that's called the red star. And it's a second different type. It's the Holy Spirit fire. This is the Holy Spirit sword. And this is the Holy Spirit fire. Just pick up any of the scripture uh, uh, prophetic books. All it talks about is the first time the Lord purified with water and the second, he won't do that again. He said, I will do it this time by fire. 
And the problem is, is we only know the aspects and attributes of natural fire. Most, I don't, none of us know what supernatural fire looks like. Unless you read St. John of the Cross, you know, go in and, and try, you know, ask your priests or, or, or places you can read. St. Catherine of Siena, one of the most eloquent, you know, all the mystics talk about God in, this, in the fire. And the main thing is, is God won't, he won't force himself on anyone ever in any way. It is about our freedom. And if I'm afraid of something, let's imagine I'm afraid of God the Father because I didn't have a father. I don't know what paternity looks like. I'm just scared of men. The Father is like scary. What if? You know, so I'm going to need in this time, I'm going to need some healing to kind of, you know, take my wildness away, my fears and my woundedness of fatherhood and begin to get to know. I may have been, same thing with a brother. You know, there's so many, we're so wounded. That's, I think, really practically the principal activity that we will be engaged in is healing, healing and conversion. You know, we need healing ministry in our natural selves. You know, we're, we're going to be doing a lot of these things in, 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 in this time and um, to prepare our hearts, especially for fire, because we're afraid of fire. Of course we are, because we just know the fire that burns. But there's passages in scripture, you know, there's so much to share, but God expresses himself and about there is such a thing as supernatural fire. And it's it's what's on the throne of God. And, and God is in that fire. And he is that flame of love. And the saints knew that. They experienced it. They wrote about it. We can read about it. We can pray about it and just become less blocked in our fears. You know, Lord, help me, give me the grace not to be afraid of you, Holy Spirit, to welcome you. Um, a, a monk in France, somebody in Martinique wrote a beautiful, I'll try to find it and translate it if I can find it in my, in my laptop. It's a rosary of, of what's called le coeur d'accueil, a welcoming heart, a heart that doesn't, that's, that's open and welcoming, you know, to this fire of love and to God's presence. So that's really, I think, the main thing we have to, we have to be concerned with at this stage in our lives, is to progressively open up our hearts, and that we would have these, like Ezekiel talks about, not a heart of stone, because that's what we do when we're scared and wounded, is we get tough, you know, we have hard hearts, and that is curiously, it's fantastic what what Paul talks about. Just before in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, he talks about that passage of, of turning our hearts when at last you hear his voice, harden not your heart. And that's, boy, that's, you know, that's the subtitle for this whole thing. You know, when at last you hear his voice, you just heard up here, harden not your hearts, you know, getting hearts of flesh. And that means all across in charity and, and just in trusting people, trusting each other trusting God so much, you know, we're so wounded. So this, that's what he's going to use this period. And then he will permit this fire naturally to literally destroy what needs to be destroyed, preserve what he desires to preserve. He will suspend. We saw that in California. I don't know if y'all saw the footage in those super bad fires that were maybe three years ago. Do you remember, um, do you remember seeing like houses totally preserved? There wasn't even smoke on houses. And then, and then the whole rest of the, of the entire neighborhood torched. That's easy for God to do. 
to place a bubble around even something as small as a room. I mean, for heaven's sakes, look at Nagasaki. The brothers were praying the rosary. Yeah. That, wasn't that an... That was Hiroshima. A, Hiroshima. I, mean, that, yeah. were, I don't even know how many thousands and millions of tons of TNT. They were, these guys didn't even get tumors. They didn't yeah. get sick after. I mean, the last one died maybe last year in his ancient 90s or something. Of course God can overshadow. That's Psalm 91. We just read it. Absolutely he can suspend law, natural law around you by yourself in a parking lot if he wants to. You know, and, and there's a bomb that goes off. If he wants to preserve you, he sure will. You know, but it, it's but we have to understand that's who he is and he does it. And he showed us all over his word. He does it. And then he showed us in the natural. You know, we've got examples of like Hiroshima. Exactly. You know, we have very real examples. I have an example of, of a good friend of mine is, is a missionary and she works in UN United Nations refugee camps. And I'll just say it super fast, just as an example, the power and the importance of specifically the rosary to cover us and to just be a bubble around us, you know, to literally go under her mantle, you know, like we pray in the soup tomb. But my friend um, went into this camp and she would come in sort of through a back way. No, she wasn't really supposed to, but the UN forces, the casque blue, the, the blue helmets, whatever they're called, the peacekeeping forces didn't want any Christians or anybody inside this camp. Because it's basically they're refugees, but they're treated like prisoners. And there's 5,000 people there. And, and my friend wanted to go in, and she was there with other missionaries. And they had a, a place that they would walk through and go down this hillside every day. So she goes her usual goat way, and it's, you know, it's Greece, and it's on the Isle of Samos. It's very arid. And she literally comes in one day and slips on the rocky, grassy, you know, rough dirt. And slides down this hill exactly at the second when a, a, a patrol group of four officers, four UN police, are literally walking right there, you know, in formation as she comes sliding out of control down the hill. She's super athletic and, you know, moved around. And so she was agile and was able, literally by God's providence, to plop right in the middle of this foursome. So they're walking in formation in cadence, you know, walking along in the rhythm. And here is my friend, and she starts to walk with him. And she's been praying the whole, the rosary in her mind, in her head all the time. Hail Mary, full of grace, vous salut, She slides down, lands in the middle, and all of a sudden picks up their pace and is walking with them. And after a couple of minutes, their road comes to a fork, and the four guys go off to the right, towards you know down to the camp in the front gate. She needs to go over here and visit some families, so she and She's smart and athletic, like I said, and kind of has that sense of her body. So she knows that she can just sort of stay and march in place while they go off. She's Je vous salue, Marie. She's still playing the Hail Mary. And they all walk off. And she walks this way. And she says, she just, I just crumpled to the ground, practically passed out because there was no denying that she had been made invisible. They didn't see her. They did not see her. They did not see her. God suspended natural law around her. She became invisible. Yes, Our Lady can do that. No problem. That is an example of the power, again, of the rosary. And I've, you know, I've, she has endless examples of these incredible stories. Yes, it did. Incredible. We do bags full of uh, statues of Our Lady. Straight thrust them. Even even the guy who was in front of me, I don't know what had happened, but he just kicked off and stuff, and they all jumped on him and 
dragged him off to the well and I just walked past him. That's no one saw you. <laughs> so yeah, you know, control points, you know, places where an ID is required, places. I have a father Mark, it happened to him at, at immigration, um, right at the passport control at, at Heathrow Airport. Same thing. He walked up to the gate, handed, he didn't have the visa to get it. He shouldn't have been in. He needed to go to Rome and he was from Australia. And he he got to the gate, you know, put his passport in and and the officer was instantly exactly at that moment put his hand on the passport was beginning to seize it a colleague says hey joe did you come over here it's time for break okay. and come over oh okay oh, okay i'll be right there pushes push the passport didn't even look at it you know father didn't have any didn't have the paperwork he needed to do he got in and he was on his way to rome i mean you know things like that that can happen so so yes, our faith needs to increase and, and hear these glorious and witness to these glories. I know every person in this room has miracles to tell. I'm positive. You know, share these things, edify each other, share, give glory to God with all those miracles that you have of multiplication and, you know, just crazy stuff that God is doing just because he's so good and he's so powerful, you know? So um, coming through this, this is a very real fire. But it's mainly for us, it's going to be a fire. I don't even think we will see the fire. But all I know is that when we come out, and I will tell that another day and another time, when I come back, by the grace of God, um, what this red star, this event looks like, and what our experience is. But all I can say is after this fire, people actually all over the world used to and still do start fires so something will be more fertile i know that sounds complex why would you destroy something to make something grow but i received part of this vision i'll just give you this was this word like a word of knowledge and the word is spontaneous regeneration of the face of the earth which just what the holy spirit says in that prayer and to renew the face of the earth and who is that the holy spirit fire yeah, he's he's going to renew the face of the earth. Is is he going to do it over a six day period? Maybe just for the fun of it, he might do it over six hours. What if it took him six minutes? God can do that. Yeah, of course he could regrow every forest on the planet Earth. He could repopulate every ocean with a bazillion kinds of fish. And I'm talking of eating fish. I'm talking fish that you have never even imagined, and in a super abundance because God doesn't do anything in abundance. He's super abundant. And all I can say is that I, that I was shown the Comal River in Texas, which is a very small river, but I spent like a fish my entire youth in this river. It's only a mile long, so I know it really well, like practically every millimeter of the thing. I had swum with my goggles and living in it. And all I can say is I was shown this river at this stage after the fire. Jesus took me down in a prayer time and showed me the river. And then when we went inside the river. And I saw fish. Of course, I've never even imagined these fish, the colors of the fish, the variety. I mean, thousands and hundreds, turtles of every, I mean, crazy things. And all these seaweeds growing. And they had flowers on them. Seaweed growing flowers? In the water flowers? Yeah. I mean, it was incredible. I couldn't believe the life. What am I looking at? And it's Eden restored. It is. That's what this is about. And that is only the thousand years. We haven't even come to, to chapter 21. We don't even, we haven't even come to the marriage feast. 
but we, yeah, we're going to need a thousand years to perfect our unity with each other, our stewardship of creation. Yeah, because we've proved ourselves. We, we're not great. For the past 6,000, our record, we're kind of like on a grade F or something, you know, we're not doing very well with stewarding ourselves, our faith, our planet, anything. And God knows that. So he's going to give us a nice thousand years, which scripturally means a really long time. Is it literally a thousand years? I don't know, but it's a long time in order to prove that we're worthy of having the keys to the kingdom. And once again, we know who those saints are, these incredible miracle workers. They were so in union with God's will that they had the keys to the kingdom, which means the power. Remember, we said at the beginning this afternoon, God is power. The power to operate like the Blessed Trinity. We are so trustworthy that we have the key. Let me give you the keys to my kingdom. Good and faithful servant. And just as a small example, but endless other things that we can't even imagine, that what would be those keys? They would open what kind of door? The door that says, resurrect the dead, raise the dead, cast out demons, heal the sick, cleanse lepers. Yeah, there's going to be, so if there's practically no natural law, and what what if if we don't even have, we'll have bodies, but what if we don't have to practice time and space and concepts like that? You know, what if bilocation is just part of the, the gift? You know, I want to pop over there and say hi to Jessica. Hey, Jessica, you know, it, anything is possible. And that is God's kingdom. It is so vast and so perfect. And what is stunning to me is when I just imagine in my ignorance, if that is only the thousand years and that is prior to the triumph and prior to the wedding feast, this is just the thousand years of the kingdom of the divine will that will prepare us for the final and second coming. And so to conclude, it used to be that everyone, all the fathers of the church, understood that there was an intermediate coming in the spirit. Not, you know, this messianism of, of the heresy is thinking that Christ is going to come um, and reign for a thousand years in his person, in his bodily person. That is absolutely a heresy. He is going to come and spiritually reign. That's what we're talking about here. And reign where? Where is he going to be? In the Eucharist. So Eucharist, that's why I call it the Eucharistic kingdom. He will be reigning in the Eucharist. He will be, he will be, I think that's going to be our nuclear power plant. I don't know what kind of energy we're going to have, but all I know, are we going to have lights? Well, scripture says the light is the lamb. So the Eucharist is, is going to be our battery source. I, I don't know, but he's whatever he wants. And it's entirely possible. It's not going to be cold. It's going to be Jesus. And so it is something for us to, you know, it took Louisa to receive thousands and thousands of pages of what that world looks like. If you really want to delve into that, um, because it, it's your Tabor moment, it's your transfiguration event. Reading Louisa is letting you look at the horizon of what that, what that world is going to look like. And if it's something you feel like helps to motivate you, and to bring you, to, to draw you towards God, then go for it. But I, I know I speak for myself, that is not something I am called to read and to study. Because right now I'm focused on trying to pre prepare myself prayerfully 
now in prayer to be able to unite myself here and now prayerfully with God through Lexio Divina, through, you know, I literally don't want to read anything but the Bible. So that's kind of where I am. But, um, you know, that's something everyone has to discern for themselves. Absolutely. But that's what Louisa is talking about is this thousand years. What's it going to look like? When our will is so in conformity, it's uniform. It's, you know, not even conform, but uniform. Our will to God's will. And so we talked about those two lines on the cross to conclude. And it's that union with God's will is the vertical line and human will is the horizontal line. And if I were going to be an artist and paint or draw what that intersection point where Christ was crucified, yeah, I think a good symbol would be the sun, you know, and just to, to put the Eucharist right there, right there in the middle of that cross, in that glory of that unity. And that's where, you know, that is where God lives, is in that perfection. And that's where we're meant to, to, to head and being prepared to go. So it is, it's mystical, but it's also a real place. And just to fathom, you know, fathom what the world and the earth is going to look like when every stream has zero pollution, every river, every ocean, every body of water, every plant, there's nothing but just full super abundant life in every plant, every tree, species that you can't even imagine, trees that nobody's seen, plants and birds nobody's seen, animals nobody's imagined. Spontaneous regeneration is, is the fruit of the Holy Spirit regenerating life on the face of the earth in seconds, if he wants to, in minutes. Where are we going to be when this all happens? Well, we couldn't possibly bear seeing it. So all I can say is that, you know, the biblical model, and I certainly got it in my prayer, is that we will be in some form of cave, underground, womb, birthing, place i mean i've had visions of, of seeing us praying the rosary by candlelight in caves um you know that sort of an image during the time of the fire overshadowing the earth but literally we will be filled at those moments with incredible charity and well the flame of love that we've been praying for and elizabeth kindleman does an awesome job writing about and so it is all about preparing our minds in our hearts, you know, what do I have to prepare? Well, massive what's happening here in the temporal, but us individually, spiritually, it's prepare my heart to receive the, fly, the, the fire and preparing my mind to receive the kingdom, to be able to imagine and accept that this is possible, you know, increasing my faith. But um, yeah, there's some beautiful quotes, but it's, it's already 513. So I'm way past, past time. Um, Comments or questions, you know, we, we can, to be continued, I think, because there's just so much, there's so much more. And y'all are such a beautiful group of ready, seeking, ready to serve the kingdom, for sure. It's amazing. It's been an honor being in the same room with you. When the event happens. That we'll be in the homes, um, and that either we will we will be sustained in our home in the same way as a refuge until 
and if we need to come together to that refuge. That's a great question. Thank you. So there's two stages. Yes. Of the candle. Yes. To um, fortify our home spiritually until that. Time. Absolutely. So that is what. Lucy, can you repeat the question? Okay. So the question is what about an intermediate sort of stage before? You know, if we're called into refuge, what about it, it corresponds to the 40 days? Um, let's imagine that I'm that I'm not here in the refuge yet. And that I because I, I need to witness in my neighborhood. Amen. I need to witness where it dispatched where I am. So if you would use the term that's what's been given to me is the vocabulary is a hearth of mercy. I have good writing. I'll be happy to very helpful writing that I can share with you about a hearth of mercy during those 40 days that is urban, it's city centers, it's apartments, it's high rises, it's right, it's in, because after these 40 days, you're, they're gonna be people coming out of houses, out of their apartments going, what just happened to me? What just happened to me? And we will be literally, I mean, that's this is where you really need your backpack. It's got your sacramentals and your Bible in it. Yes, you will be, you've got the Acts of the Apostles chapter two, the actual sentence, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of sins and you receive the Holy Spirit. You may have people lined up. You may be doing that 10 times a day, 50 times a day. Absolutely. You know, follow me. You know, come to my house today at 2. Every day at 2, I'm explaining to the newly baptized. You know, this is straight out of the Acts of the Apostles. What's this look like? Yes. So yes, sacramentals. Yes, the courage and the fortitude to stand on your, on our faith and know what, you know, what is what are the essentials? What do I transmit? You know, this these are excellent questions. I, I wish we could come back tomorrow and dressed. What are the five pillars of the faith? And how do I transmit the faith? What are the essentials? I'm not going to have these guys with me for five months, six months. Let's say you have them for an hour. How are you going to transmit the faith in an hour? The the pillars of the faith. Um, you know, so what are those essentials? The Lord's Prayer, the Creed, the Ten Commandments. And uh, what am I forgetting? Uh, the Creed, the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, the Bible, absolutely, the Living Bible, the Rosary. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting one. But, the, you know, that's all we may have time to transmit, but those are the essentials. It, that's fine. You know, and praying over people, praying with people, um, and transmitting the faith. We will be sustained, because imagine you're not in a parish. You don't have a priest. You don't have that luxury. The Blessed Sacrament is most certainly not in your home. So you have your sacramentals. Absolutely get equipped in sacramentals because no one knows when this sword is going to fall. No one knows other than the principle of in the fullness of time. It's when hearts are dilated. What dilates human hearts? I'm suffering. Suffering, I'm sorry, is to say is the only thing that seems to dilate our hearts is suffering and that God will, will, will drop this sword at the perfect instant where the maximum of souls on the face of the earth are open through the suffering, to his visitation. So it'll be, just like Jonah, it'll be in the height of the storm, at the fullness. Just like a woman doesn't have a baby before 10 centimeters. It's, it's, it'll be dilated. So we got all of these contractions. This event is not happening tomorrow. It could happen quickly once the waters break and the contractions and God determines now is the time for me to visit. And we, and we see the revelation and, and Jesus, the writer, faithful and true, comes that instant um will happen on theological principle in the fullness of opening of hearts because god wants to penetrate our heart at the perfect 
moment. You can be sure that Saul was at the maxed out, total max of his bad ideas. At that instant, God saw him and said, now's the moment for me to go. And boom, the Damascus instant happened. Ask any person that's had a, dr a drug addict, any person that has had, you know, a life turnaround, an almost deadly accident, an almost deadly disease, mortal, close to it. Everyone will tell you I was at rock bottom, mm -hmm. the full dilation. I was at desperate end. I, you know, that is when God's at, God visits us. It'd be great if we could say, come on now. We all want it now, but we are far at the moment. It's got to be in that fullness. And the waters haven't even broken. So we got to get from zero to 10 centimeters mystically all over the earth. So yeah, we got some suffering to go through which means we have a lot of prayer work to do once this happens and the millstone breaks, get on deck, you know, drop everything and you are praying, relaxing, you know, helping everyone in prayer. And then this event happens and you're in the street, you're in your neighborhood with your backpack, you're baptizing people, you're, you're telling them to come to your house, you're inviting them. That will be a transitional phase of 40 days. Then that window closes and then that is when people go into the refuge which is a longer term so the refuge of mercy is after the hearth of mercy so first the hearth 40 40 days it probably in your home in your neighborhood where you where you where you are and then you move into a refuge and for that three and a half years of a longer period of preparation for the fire <laughs> you see what i'm saying for the fire of the holy spirit which is a whole other experience of of the of the paraclete you know um, so I guess that's, yeah. Only because some people, um, in speaking, they have this idea of the refuge that if they're not part of the refuge, they're going to be lost. And I think we need to let people know that you're not going to be lost. Right. That's what we're here for, to go out and send them. And to pray that not a single soul be lost, you know, I mean, that's, that's a beautiful prayer to make, you know, to make. So, I mean, our prayer is, it's everything. It's everything. I know so, a couple people rather than, yeah. you know, and say, hey, come on, you come. You know, and that we're, but that we're on the ground grassroots level, we're present and we're not running away instantly, you know, knocking on Michael and Jess's door saying, can I move in? Well, no, it's because you need to be in your neighborhood still. Because there's a lot of souls to witness to and to bring in and maybe even baptize. So there there are these five abodes, and I'll maybe start with that the next time I come, but I'm just going to announce them to you. So you don't have access to sacramentals. You have no priest anywhere near you. How are you going to be sustained in the faith? Um, well, there are five abodes, and I'll just name them, and then we can, you know, and I can even send them by email and I can send you a writing that's maybe two or three pages, you know, but I think this is really helpful for us to begin to contemplate. How do I cling to my faith in the absence of a sacramental life? Because I don't have access to a parish anymore. I'm having another COVID lockdown situation. So, because that will come. Um, the five abodes are to remain, to abide. An abode is where you abide in abiding. You know, Jesus says, abide in me, John 15. Remain in me to abide, to live in, like it's your house. It's a place you know, it's familiar. We abide in his name, the perpetual prayer of Jesus' name, just repeating his name. You know, that's the Jesus prayer that the desert monks, the desert fathers knew about. 
perpetual prayer, even if you're just saying Jesus, Jesus, in, in, you know, all day long. Or Jesus Mary, as St. Joan of Arc did. She, she, she said, Yeshu, Ye, Ye, Yezu Maria. St. Joan of Arc kind of confused and fused the two names, um, merged them. So in the name and in God's face, we remain in his face. We can adore him and have a house of prayer and a house of adoration. St. Leo, well, he's not saying Leon DuPont, the holy man of Tours, was given that he was just one, but we know so about the power of God's face, his visage. We know it from scripture, from the book of Numbers. We know that in Psalm 67, it says, may God arise, may his enemies be scattered. May those who despise him flee from his face. God's face is so radiant like the sun that the enemy scatters, disperses, is, is confounded in the presence of God's face. Where do I have God's face? In the Eucharist. That's so why we're supposed to be doing Eucharistic processions, scattering. And I know the exorcist in Nashville, Don, Dan Rehold, is a friend of mine. And he's, he, that's what he does. He drives around Nashville, you know, blessed sacrament, you know, and he's just, he's, he's watched, you know, brothels shut down and, you know, tattoo parlors shut down, just letting the Lord scatter, you know, praying that Holy Face chaplet. There's a little baby, there's a wonderful little chaplet called Chaplet of the Holy Face. So we remain in, in the face. Does everybody have an image, an icon of our Lord's face in your house? You must have one and make it. That's your prayer room. That's your that's your tabernacle. Come before his face. He is Eucharistic. He even told St. Faustina, I am Eucharistically present in the icon of divine mercy. You know, have an icon of the divine mercy. Um, absolutely. In your prayer room, go before his face and worship him as if he were in the Eucharist. You know, he, he is present. His, his, the power of God's face. He who has seen me has seen my father. Wow. I mean, it, the face of God is so powerful. His name is so powerful. The entire universe trembles before his name. We should be saying his name all day long everywhere. The monks knew that. How did we lose that tradition? I don't know. So in his name, in his face, in his word. Yes, it's wonderful that there's liturgy of the word at every daily mass, but can we read scripture more? Can we practice Lexio? Can we make it a daily to spend, I don't know, 20 minutes inside the Bible? Any passage you want, just open it. Just let him crack it open in the word. And then in the light, John, blessed John, the, 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 the disciple, beloved and author of gospel, tells us so clearly this mystery of fellowship, koinonia. We are lights, the light of Christ. We got one at our baptism. But when we gather together and create life, light together, it multiplies, it magnifies in an exponential way. We have to be in fellowship. Don't let yourself be alone too long. Seek the fellowship. Seek the light of other Christians because the enemy wants to blow your candle out. And that's why he's trying to separate us and divide us and scatter us. And even if that means talking on the phone to somebody when you're down, you know, seek the light of other fellow Christians. Fellowship is the light. And then the final and fifth abode of the five is to remain in the truth. What's truth, says Pilate? Well, truth is every righteous act you ever do, you're standing in the truth. Godly, righteous acts produce this presence of truth. You are witnessing to the truth when you do something righteous. We have a beautiful list called Spiritual and corporal works of mercy. Just to start with that alone. 
What's a righteous act? Just look up the list of the corporal and spiritual works of mercy and practicing them. Every time, you know, there's a guy named Charlie Johnson, if you ever heard about him in Korak, you know, he, he has this expression that's so spot on. You know, what does he say? Uh, you know, declare that God is God. What, uh, recognize God, how does he word it? And take the next right step. You know, we, we know that's what living in the divine will. We're supposed to, we're supposed to next action. What do I do now? What do I do now? Okay. How do I spend the next, you know, turning to him constantly. Those are those, that kind of prayer of the presence does produce righteous acts. Yeah. We could go from, from glory to glory says the word, you know, from grace to grace, just flow along, just flow along in, in that flow of righteousness. And that is, we are abiding in the truth when you're living that lifestyle, you know? So those are the five abodes have nothing to do with the sacraments. Nothing. And that plus the sacramentals. And candle mistakes. That very second. So make sure you get your candles. <laughs> Another question. It seemed like somebody was about to have a question. So just to go over time from the time the angel drops the millstone until the illumination, that period in between was... Those are the contractions okay. and the contractions look like on a global, you know, God signs of God's justice in the Bible are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Natural disaster, famine, plague, and war. And that's the time of prayer for us. That's sort of how Well, yeah, but we're also going to be, you know, this is what's contrary to this sounds horrendous to say this, and I mean no offense to anyone on any level. Does everybody know what Braxton Hicks are? <laughs> Can I dare to say that we've been living in 6,000 years of Braxton Hicks? <laughs> it's really scary, I know. It's terrifying. But if I were to, I mean, I'm saying World War I and World War II are Braxton Hicks. What? Why is it so different? Because these contractions are going to be in perfect synchronicity, just like COVID was. It's going to be happening all over the earth at the same time, just like contractions in increasing intensity. Get your breath. You know, yes, we're going to have to be so in prayer. And our prayer is going to carry everybody else. Literally. Prayer is that important. Our intercessory prayer. prayer for I mean, it's going to be important for us to, to remain at peace. But it's going to be reverberating. I mean, our blessed mother, that's all she's told us about is please pray. Y'all aren't praying enough. I mean, how many, every, you know, she's saying that every five minutes. So, yeah, this is in, extraordinarily intense. But those, you know, those are the, are the modes that God will and always has operated in as signs of his justice. Those four. So in that sense, we can, we know what to expect. But what we don't know is the intensity of it happening in synchronicity on a global scale. And the only time we've ever seen that before is COVID, where there was that level of control. And, you know, people are doing, we're, we're all freaking out, at least I am in Texas, over these crazy storms that are happening. And a lot of people are saying, um, gosh, that's just Harpa or that's some, you know, human manipulation. And I'm like, fine, yes, it's human manipulation, you bet. But who actually is letting it happen? God is permitting in his permissive will. He's using, he's deploying something like that in order to dilate us. So we turn to him. I mean, he, he knows us. He knows what wakes us up. 
making people hungry is a great way to get us to pray. I mean, that's, you know, and that's why our lady's been telling us to fast for years on Wednesdays and Fridays because she knows famine's coming. You know, and at some point we got to stop eating Doritos. And, and you know, you know, at some point we have to stop buying Oreos and start. We got to wake up because would you rather relinquish it? You know, think about being a kid with a toy. You know, would you rather your dad grab it out of your hands, which can hurt your fingernails or something, you know, or would you rather say, OK, like here it is. We got lots of things in which we talked about all day yesterday is that detaching. You know, it could be food. It could be any level of, you know, start taking cold showers or no showers. What if we don't have hot showers anymore? I mean, I know people, you know, young people that practice sleeping on the floor. I mean, there's so many mortifications we can't even imagine because we're living in the world. And what can we do to begin to voluntarily mortify all kinds of creature comforts we have? I mean, I, I go through these airports like Father does. You know, you look around, it's we're just eating constantly. And then sugar and stuff that, you know, I don't know if y'all ever tried to stop sugar or caffeine. Yeah, you go through withdrawal. You go through withdrawal. I mean, and yes, it's we need to work on this. This is real. When's it going to happen? I don't know. But God does. And I, I, all I know is that there's a certainty of it happening. It's like, you know, heaven or hell or death is coming to me personally. Of course it is. So am I going to get ready for it or just sort of wing it and hope that it'll be okay and work itself out? Well, on the fasting, there are some things that are only uh, overcome by prayer and fasting. So the spiritual battle is greatly aided by that now. Huge. I, two days ago, I was looking for Elizabeth Indomens. Um, request for fasting for specific days for specific mm -hmm. intercession. Oh, I don't remember. Mm. I remember that there were some things in there. She, she was told to fast on bread and water. For uh, specific days for specific. Yeah, like Wednesday and Friday. I think. So the question is: fasting from on Elizabeth Kendallman's writings. Um, what were the recommendations? So just in case for the antenna for the yeah. microphone. In the book that has like Monday for freeze, mm -hmm. Tuesday for this, oh. it's, it's in the book. See, yeah, yeah see her book mm -hmm. for the details of the recommendations. Picture texted. Any other comments or questions? We've covered a lot of material. Yes, we have. You've been so patient. Thank you so much. Bless you, bless you, bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you. So how about if we just close with a prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we turn our faces toward you. And we bless you. We adore you. We worship you. For giving us your Son. For pouring your Spirit out over the face of the earth and making all things new. I just would ask you, Father, in your great mercy, in Jesus' mighty, 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 holy, holy name, to open the storehouse of mercy and grace and goodness and glory. Just pour it out on us right here and now, Father. We hunger for you. We thirst for you. We desire you. 
We desire intimacy with you. We ask you for the graces we need. You see every one of us. You know our hearts better than we do. And we just would ask in Jesus' name that you would pour out over us, starting right now, all that we need to be in conformity and uniformity and in union with your will, all that we need to serve and to sacrifice ourselves for you, We're hungry for your blessing. We desire to be one with you, just as our Lord describes in the great priestly prayer that is John 17. And we just ask for all the graces and gifts and mercies and blessings that we will need, each of us tailor-made to who we are as your children in these coming times. And lastly, that you would help us to be good witnesses to the truth. And so we would ask you to consecrate us in the truth. Your word is truth. Your living word of Jesus and the Eucharist. Every time we come before him, the word made flesh, that you would consecrate us and draw us out into your father's heart through the most blessed sacrament of the altar as we adore and worship his Eucharistic heart and his Eucharistic face. And secondly, that you would consecrate us in the truth, which is your written word, logos, the word you've spoken into sacred scripture, that you would crack open that word and pierce our hearts, just light our hearts on fire like you did on the road to Emmaus, as Jesus opened sacred scripture. <clears throat> And so we ask for this opening and that you would help our hearts to be receptive, fertile ground for you to sow into, Lord. Just as you have done for our mother, who is your beloved daughter, the mother of your son and the spouse of your spirit. And we turn to her and ask for her as mediatrix of grace to guide us and guard us and keep us and help us and assist us as our mother and our queen to protect us with her sovereign power and all of our prayer intentions and our loved ones and ourselves and our territory and all that interests us in our lives, that she would help us become more and more conformed and uniform to her sorrowful immaculate part. As I pray the soup to him, Subtum presidium confugimus, sancta Dei genitrix, nostras deprecationes, nos specias, in necessitaribus, sera periculis cumptis libera nos semper, virgo gloriosa in benedicta. All glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, a world without end. Amen. Jesus, Mary, Joseph, we love you. Save souls. Thank you. Thank you all. Oh, gosh. I wouldn't be here if you weren't here. <laughs> we go together. <laughs>